I do experience life not as it's seen, but perhaps as that mystical, you know, you know, imagine the, like, you know, cause I know my mother is here and I know when people show up in my life, she has something to do with it. And I love the fact that the conversation can continue beyond this reality into another. And I'm always looking for those signs like you keep speaking to. And I find them and I find them all the time. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Oh, you guys are in for a treat today as you listen to this interview with Meg Nocero. I didn't even ask how to pronounce your last name before I started to record Meg Nocero, the last it's name. It's Nocero, but that's Nocero. the way that people say it in Miami. <laughs> Nocero. Yeah, because I'm Latina. Nocero. Nocero. But Nocero. 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 Yeah. Okay. So uh, with Meg Nocero, now you guys got to hear her voice. So Meg is a former Department of Homeland Security attorney. She is an author, which that's one of the things that's actually going to be part of the focus of today's interview. And she is a mom, which as what she said is her favorite role and the most what? Challenging. Ch <laughs> <laughs> uh, so welcome, Meg. Excited to have you here. Oh, thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here to talk to you and your audience. We already have so much in common. I know it. So <laughs> I know. Well, just when I was reading the book, then when I when I read the part that you had been an exchange student in Colombia, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to message her on Instagram so she knows I'm from Colombia before we hop <laughs> on. I wanted to know what city. It doesn't happen to be the same city as me, but um, but that's all so cool that you already know a little bit of uh, of who you're talking to as well. Now, Meg, there's like a whole bunch. Of, I was like asking you, like, what do I say? Because there's so many things I could say of what you are and who you are, because you also have your podcast, Manifesting with Meg, Conversations with Extraordinary People, which is also a YouTube channel. You've done a TEDx talk. Uh, which is entitled Wake Up, How to Create a Better Story for a Happier Village. And you've met a lot of famous people, a lot of people that people have in their vision board, on their vision board. And you are probably an expert then at manifesting because I can, you've manifested a lot of things in your life. Yeah. I'd like to say that I, I, I like to play with the universe. And I think that, you know, for me, I'm like the kind of person who's the reluctant person, the reluctant evolution, like evolutionist. Like I don't want to change. And if I don't have to change, I'll hold on. So it has to be a pretty big something that happens to me. To like, okay, it's like a big sign. Like uh, yeah. And we are talking about a big thing that happened and how that was basically the catalyst for a lot of the other things that started to happen after that. So Today we'll be talking of uh, your book and really the story behind your book and people can read the book and find a lot of the details, but the book is Butterfly Awakens, a memoir of transformation through grief. So um, take us into that and what was your grief uh, journey that was the catalyst for all these different changes and ex ex an amazing, amazing journey that you had ahead. Yeah. So um, in 2011, my mother um, basically succumbed to breast cancer. She passed away April um, 12th, 2011. And from that point on, my life has not ever been the same. I can say, well, before that point, because the grieving process certainly begins before you actually mm -hmm. lose the person that you love. I think the threat of loss, you know, kind of has you negotiating with the world a little differently. But yeah, that was the point in time where I really, um, I would say fall, fell to pieces. Like I fell apart, like, 
you know, we, we it's always like so funny. We fall apart to be built back up again, mm. hopefully stronger. I, I certainly believe that with my particular journey, I am a stronger person nowadays than I was, although definitely um, an emotional one. So my sensitivity gets me many times. It's like my superpower at the same time. It could be like the other side of the coin, right? Ditto, ditto here. It is exactly that empathy component that we have and that, that relation it's, it's our superpower, but it is our, our Achilles, Achilles, Achilles heel. I can't even pronounce Achilles. Achilles. How do I say it? Achilles. Talon de Achilles. <laughs> Talon de Achilles. I'll just say that. <laughs> so, um, take us then into when your mom was diagnosed, then what did you, you said you didn't cope well. So what were some of the tools you used during that time? And from diagnosis to her passing, how long was that? So uh, it was it was really interesting. It was kind of a point in my life when she found out she had cancer. I was six months pregnant with my daughter. So it was an exciting time. At the same time, I, had deal, I was dealing with hypermesis gravidarum, which is really like severe nausea mm. when you're pregnant. And it's like, you really feel like, is this happening? And I chose this because I did choose to have another child. And mm -hmm. you're just like, oh my God, I don't know how to even make through the day. And it was very interesting because my mother had been nursing me back to health. We were all super excited. It was girl. We had all these boys and we finally had a girl. And she um, really was the one to be my, you know, my rock, you know, that I could hold on to. And then, you know, finally it started to pass somewhat, still bad. But then, you know, I, I got a phone call and she dropped the, the C word on me. Mm -hmm. You know, she um, found out that she did in fact have cancer. And I remember it was just like the whole world just swallowed me up. I was just like, like I was very, very like dizzy. It was, it was a really incredible, um, like trying to hold on to something because mm. you feel like your world is just going to, to change. So when you're asking me what the first, you know, when I found out, um, until basically the end, it was a process of, so that was 2008 when I found out and then she passed away in 2011. So it was about three years. We had a, a point in time after Ava was born, my daughter was born. She was in remission, um, for maybe four months. Um, but it came back again with a fury, um, in her liver. But that being said, you know, I'm not, a person who is like the world is coming down on me unless the world is coming down on me and I feel like I don't see you know the, the light mm -hmm. um, but with my mom it was like okay well you know what we're gonna work through this you just helped me I'm gonna help you you know you got this we're we're gonna you know come out you know victorious you know certainly you know find the right doctors find the right cures find the right everything and I was like really set out to be this inspiring light for her um, and we had moments where, you know, there were a lot of good news in the, in the, in, in the path, you know, chemotherapy is a, a terrible thing, um, to watch someone go through that and it takes away their dignity a lot. Cause you're, she was dealing with the same kind of nausea that I was dealing with when I was pregnant. Um, it's, it's really humbling. And, and my mother was a force to be reckoned with. She was a strong woman. She stood her ground independent, really a force. So it was really hard to see her, you know, having to deal with, with those limitations. Um, you know, the process is the process. I have asked many people in, in my own life, you know, while I was going through it, does this ever feel better? Mm -hmm. Right. Does this ever yes. change? And they're like, you'll never get over the loss that it just dulls over time that incredible stab pain mm -hmm. into your heart you know like the writer that i am the pulsating pain that you know oozes sorrow it was just that was oozing <laughs> wait sorrow. wait say say all those descriptive words again the sorrow and the pain that oozes yeah. sorrow yeah. like it's so yeah. true pulsating it's like, pain from a pulsating pain. that oozes sorrow you know oh like, my gosh you're so good with words my gosh and it's so true like it's amazing it's so true like yeah so it's no longer it just dulls that a little bit but then there's times in which it could still creep up again and feel again like the pulsating pain. Like I, I, I tell people it's not about the time at all yeah. because there's other times in your life in which something will come up. I'll just give an example, like uh, somebody gets married uh, or something like that. Those kind of even happy occasions in which then the grief can then be back again. Like, oh my gosh, I don't have this 
person by my side in this very special moment, right? And all these things come right back up as if it had just been yesterday. Like she should be here to celebrate with us. Right. So she yeah, should be here to experience this. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Or mm-hmm. even selfishly for me, mm-hmm. <laughs> for me, because when anything good happens, I would call her. Who do I call? <laughs> yeah. Who do I call? Yeah. My my sister had like had to get used to uh, being the one I'd call during these times. You know, when my mom you know passed away, and then I realized one time in conversation with her, you know, I'm like, you know, I realized something that I have noticed in the last couple of days, I've been talking a lot to you and not with you. Um, and I, I realized that that's not fair. I think I'm using you, you know, in that grief journey. And it, sometimes it would bounce back and forth. Sometimes I'd be the receiving, but there was one week I remember that it had been a lot. And for me, acknowledging that and noticing, she was like, thank you. Cause she was kind of feeling like, you know, she was my go-to to call in that. And, um, so anyhow, so yes, I, I can totally understand. Back to you because this is not about me. So the um so then in that journey, then of certain waves of the of hope that you were given in that process, as you that's the thing, you're dealing with these waves of emotions of of uh hope when she's in remission, then back again. So it's like you pull your the rug gets pulled from under you several times in that journey. Yeah. You know, I think that the I think the most profound memory that I I still look back on and it's the empath in me, right? You know, I, how I would react to other people. You know, it's kind of like she's gone. It's time back to go back to life again, like to go back to the way things were. And you and I both know we, that'll never happen. Mm-hmm. There's never going to be life again as we knew it before that loved one passed. So, I mean, it's just not. I'm not saying it's not going to be good again or great again. I'm just saying it's not going to be the same again. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people outside of you, the external people are are people who love us. They're like, come on, come back to being who you were before. And I honestly did really fear that I would never be able to laugh again after my mother died. Mm. Like, like pure laughter, like that joy that would exude. And I'm telling you, like my book, my first book is The Magical Guide to Bliss. I had to literally write my own guide to get myself back to some semblance of bliss because I couldn't imagine that was a, that would be a terrible thing to grieve is never feeling happiness again. You know, that would be worse than the actual loss of my mother. I think she would grieve that for me, to be quite honest with you. That would be terrible. She would never want that. She would never want and I wonder, do you feel that the part of feeling bliss, feeling joy again, is this notion, maybe culturally or whatever, that if we feel happy, it's as if we have stopped missing them or stopped loving them and so forth. Do you feel that there is that aspect there that does not allow us to know that joy can exist even in our grief? Absolutely. One of the things that I was processing, first of all, is that I felt like failed. I was supposed to be this inspirational, you know, guru champion that I was going to get my mother to have that whole mind, body, spirit kind of interplay where, you know, she would, her, her body could get the healing because I just kept bombarding her with mom. You can't think that way. Don't be negative, you know, whatever. And I felt like I failed her. So mm. if I actually experienced happiness again, it was as if the guilt would overwhelm me. It's like, mm. how could I feel that when I failed my mother? Mm. And wow, it's intense. I mean, whoever would like, I mean, literally I had to get to a place in my life where I had to be accountable to myself. You cannot dictate anyone else's journey. That is their journey as well as my own. I have agency over that, but you know, I mean, you know, you kind of think that I could have done more to help her and I didn't. And I, you know, I just, at that point, it felt just entirely bad. So not only was I grieving her loss, but I was also really beating myself up, really beating myself up. And so I just felt like not feeling would be the best route to go, just being completely numb to life again. And that is where, you know, the happiness component just didn't feel right anymore. And, you know, it's interesting because our bodies on a physiological level, um, will will start talking louder, you know, at our own health issues if we're not taking care of ourselves and paying attention, which is what happened to me. I I came um, down with tinnitus, which is the screaming and 
in the my ear. ear. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, what? And I went for MRIs. I like, am I, what is going on here? Is this a root? Is this a crazy universal joke where I just went through this terrible experience with my mother and now it's coming back to haunt me. I was like, what, you know, and of course my imagination, you know, being a creative person, you know, I would just take flights of fancy and, <laughs> and there is, there it in lies, you know, all the best horror stories. I imagine I literally cannot watch them. I don't want to, but, um, you know, I was like, wow, I'm getting punished, huh? Is this the punishment I get? Which reality is, is my body is begging me to wake up to my life again. So, you know, I can look at it. Like an alarm clock. You're basically hearing an alarm clock in your ear, like, wake up, Meg. (laughs) You have children to be present to your husband, you know, all this, your life is still ahead. Huh? That is kind of an easy that's, that's the best so, example. It's alarm clock. Yeah. How, how did you, how did you manage to then be able to address it since it was an emotional re since your physical, uh, representation, it was a physical representation of your emotions. How was that being able to take care of your, the ringing of your ear? Right. Well, so, you know, I, they, they wanted to give me a lot of antidepressants, anti-anxieties, and I'm like, I barely wanted to get married and commit my life to one person for the rest. Imagine or committing yourself to a drug for the rest of your life. I like, uh-uh, no, thank you. Not that it's not a, listen, I'm not an anti anything. I'm like, go and do what you got to do for you. And I was literally like, there has to be tools out there to help me somehow calm my nervous system down. I was like, this is what I'm just completely, I was having panic attacks. My anxiety was through the roof, especially, you know, you know, I don't know if, if you've had this experience as well, but the three o'clock in the morning, wake up, call yourself, you know, walking around going, why am I awake at it's three stress. o'clock? It's yeah. stress. Anytime it's 3am, it's stress waking up. Absolutely. So I, so I started, um, one of my very dear friends basically picked me up at my office and drove me to an acupuncturist where she was the most incredible, calming um, doctor who just sat me down, listened to me. And I didn't feel like she had to listen to me. I felt like she wanted to listen to me and help me. So that was the first step in my healing process as far as, you know, getting the empowered tools I needed to, you know, navigate my life differently. Because, you know, I've accepted the fact that the ringing comes when I'm stressed. It does. It comes back. It's like, oh, I need to chill myself out big time. <laughs> um, but I also know how. I still, I still go to acupuncture. I still do all the modalities I've learned. Uh, tapping was wonderful. Um, I do this butterfly pose. That's incredible. I love that it's called the butterfly oh. pose too. You know, it's a tapping, like a nurturing. You know, what babies are tapped when they're babies and they're calm them down. That the mother will do to their child. That's what you do to yourself, and then you you visualize yourself in the place that makes you happiest, which is for me the beach. Take me to the beach. Take me to the beach, and as <laughs> you do my live, you do live near the beach. You're yes. in Miami, so yes. right? <laughs> yes, for sure, for sure. For That's sure. so awesome. So you were able then to take care of that. Now, how was it then for you? in this grief journey, as you were going through all of this anxiety, and I know more details are in the book, but since we're at the podcast and we kind of want to know this gray in between part, and then we'll talk about all these gratitude components a little bit, a little bit, we'll sprinkle some of those there because a lot of them are in the book. Uh, I still, I was telling Meg, I'm still missing. Uh, let me see the best part. As she said, a few, yeah. few, few <laughs> chapters there at the end. The, um, how was it then with work functioning, you know, to go to work in this type of environment, which is a high stress environment yeah. being an attorney. So how, how did you manage that day to day with, with your grief? So, you know, I am very dutiful. I, I knew I had to do my job to take care of my family and I would show up and I would leave when I had asked um, for a reprieve like I wasn't looking to take off a significant amount of time I only wanted to do it more on a part-time so I could start to heal because I was exhausted because you know people forget that the whole coming no caring for someone who who is sick is is very taxing on the person who's the caregiver um, that in, in your family as well I'm not the only one who did take care of my help my take care of my mother I mean she it was it was tangential I was doing with my family 
but it was exhausting because I would drive back and forth from Orlando to Miami. And, you know, so when it came down to the time to go back into my life again, I was like, I can't do this. And I've never been that. Like, I never have been, I can't do this. I've always been, okay, push through, you'll be all right, you know? And this is the first time I was like, I'm really exhausted. I need a break. And, you know, I had asked and they said no. And I'm just like, wow, this is really amazing. The disconnect, I think, when so, I mean, I've never asked. I had never asked before anything before that. I had never asked for really anything. And, and they said no. And I think that sent my anxiety more into a, a spiral. And, you know, it's funny because thank God I had certain tools because I would be sitting in court. I would have a docket of like 60 cases, you know, just because we did masters. And I would start to have anxiety attacks. And if you know what an anxiety attack feels like, it's like you leave your body. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the tools that I had been taught where you have to somehow get yourself back into your body. And sometimes people put, you know, ice on their tongue, that, that cool sensation, you feel it back. Or I used to wear a, a rubber band around my wrist and I used to like pull at it, it just to mm-hmm. feel, yeah. Or or I would like literally pinch my skin. You know, I, I, I would, you know, because literally if I got up and started screaming in a courtroom full of people, that would certainly have me, you know, put in this committed, committed. Yeah, committed. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, I will not give it to anybody. I will not lose my, you know what, so that anybody has anything to say about Meg losing her, you know, you know what? Mm-hmm. So I would be sitting there and I was like, holy God, just take deep breaths. But one of the greatest things that I learned, and this is for anyone who's suffering for anxiety is pick a multiplication table, like the numbers, like five times five, because logically oh. your brain will go back into you know, if you start thinking mathematically and, and honestly, it would become a process. So I used to go five times five, 25, five times 16, 30. I would, and it would take me out of that creative side of my brain where, you know, I would, I'm dying. You're gonna that die. is so good. That is so good. Yeah. It's like it, to switch it, to just switch the the yes. brain pattern right there. Right. I had never thought of the multiplication oh, being yeah, no. something. Yeah. Cause it's something you could just completely hone in and focus on that has nothing to do. Right. Cause sometimes people, you know, it's kind of like, Oh, they say when you're falling asleep, counting sheep, I'm assuming that that counting component yeah. is kind of like, <laughs> as if you're taking yourself. Well, calm your that. brain down for sure. That is for <laughs> sure. I would like calm your brain down. My brain yes. is literally in overdrive right now. And you know, one of the things that I, used to do in in court a lot was hear stories of people who were telling these horrible stories about what happened to them in their country of origin since it's asylum cases a lot of times and i would be like oh my god this is gonna happen to me so i i had to like you know after a while you know people forget that when you're subjected to something over and over and over again you do internalize it and after 20 years in court i was internalizing this stuff anyway long story short you know i did in fact um, get an offer. I, I, I did petition for a leave of absence and I got it and it was like for six weeks, but at least it gave me some semblance of an opportunity to, to just rest, you know, mm. and figure out a plan. And, you know, my mother told me before she passed away, stress is going to kill you. I just want you to know an overwhelming stress because everybody has stress in their life, yes. but like an overwhelming, you know, chronic stress over and over, not good and don't want to have regrets at the end of your days. You don't want to like leave it on the table. <laughs> I mean, not leave it on the table. You want to make sure that you are in this world doing what you're supposed to do. And, you know, I was just like, well, I want you here. I didn't want you to go anywhere. I would like, I want to play with you. <laughs> you know, that's mm-hmm. kind of my thought process. But, you know, at the, you know, what, what is, what is that? I started asking questions of what I wanted to do. What did I want? What did I want? And then, then things started to unfold because I started paying attention. And I've, I've used this quote many times because this is literally the quote that I've used to follow my life. It's pay attention, be astonished and tell all about it. And I made it a point to start pay attention to things in my life. And I was like getting excited, like get surprised, get excited about it. And then tell like the story, t- the storytellers, right? The podcast, the, you know, how do I tell? Well, oh my God. And I was like, you'll never believe what I just what happened to me. You'll never believe what just happened to me. So it became an unfolding of excitement rather than dread, which. Mm -hmm. And in that excitement of like looking at things, you were also able to see things that were connecting you with your mom in that journey. So can you share some of those little moments in which you kind of saw them as messages and there's a, a lot of other things that unfolded afterwards of your dreams that you would have and so yeah. forth. But could, could you share a few of those, please? 
So things that were happening, like starting to pay attention to my mother playing a role. Like, I mean, the biggest one is clearly um, when I was on stage with Oprah Winfrey. I, I know, know. That, that's the I one mean, I wanted you to say because I was like, I just didn't want to. I'm like, does she want to say it or does she want people to wait till they read the book? Yeah, no, that <laughs> one was chills. Yeah, that was kind of like you'll never yeah. believe what no. just happened to me. Right? Do you want to do you want to share about the dream and then what happened that day, or do you want people to read it? Well, you know, it's interesting <laughs> because you know I'm one of these people that um, I generally like to know the ending before the actual story unfolds. Oh, really? Um, okay. Yeah. So it's maybe not, I'm one of those spoilers. You know, certainly you know. Oh, here comes Meg. She's going to ruin the story again. Like I have a book club, and they're always like, "Oh, you read the ending before you finished the book." I said, "Yeah," because I wanted to know whether it was worth my while to it's invest so the time. <laughs> That's so funny because I, I think my son is really similar and they he likes to actually watch movies we've already seen and maybe it is because he already knows how it's going to end so yeah. then he can actually enjoy the process somehow better. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> people who are anxious, people who have a lot of anxiety, it will it will make it more enjoyable because yes. you're not like looking to because, you know, sometimes things happen that are nothing to do with us, but because we experience it on a, like a physical level when our emotion, like you're feeling it. Like they always say, you know, when you run a race in your mind, it's already as if you ran the race in your body, yes. but people who are really, really sensitive and, you know, empaths, like we were speaking to that, you feel it. You're like, you feel everything. You're just like, I don't know if this goes ugly and dark. I don't even know if I want to finish this mm-hmm. stuff. So I'll mm-hmm. go to the end. But, you know, so for me, you know, it was kind of this whole process where, um, as far as Oprah is concerned, I mean, I just found she was so inspirational. She is so inspirational for me. I always got so much from watching her shows so much from, you know, learning from what her guests had to share, um, just so much about the human experience that sometimes made me feel, and my friend always says this to me, we're Which never going to Denise? Die. Is it Denise? Though? No, is Denise, no, Denise didn't say this is Teta, but Teta oh, okay. would always say to me, you're not going to die of terminal uniqueness. There is someone in this world who is going through exactly what you're going through. You just got to find them to get the wisdom you'll need to get through what you're going through now. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was the whole gist behind. I was like, okay, I like negotiated with God. And I said, okay, you get me through this. I will absolutely share the vulnerability of my story so that I can help somebody who's going through this as well. And I, you know, it, it, you know, whether or not someone aligns to this and, you know, it's a, it's a very self-involved process writing a memoir. I mean, you're talking about yourself the whole time. My husband keeps saying, Oh my God, aren't you tired of you? And I said, sometimes (laughs) you are like, I'm tired of me. I just like, but yet at the same time, it's as if I knew what I needed when I was doing, uh, when I was going through the hardest times and, you know, if I had read a book where I could go down to the end and say, Oh, that could have happened. That can happen. It gives you hope. And I literally align with the notion that depression is sadness without hope. So if you infuse hope into somebody's, you know, vernacular or whatever, or like life spirit, then that might be the one thing that they might need to hear when they're feeling so desperate that Mm. it's never going to change. But yeah, it did for me. Oh. And you share that. It's beautiful. I mean, it's really, you see a light come on. And and I have to tell you, Kendra, outside of the Oprah story, on my own, I had an experience where I was a part of this group called um, Tonight, is a tonight, it was a tinnitus group. And there was a, a, a beautiful person on uh, online in the evening, because I was up a lot of night looking through social media, and he literally was on the verge of suicide. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm going to sit here with you because I know what you're going through and I'm going to walk you through this. And then we're going to get you on a plane tomorrow to go be with people who are going to help you surround you with love because you can't go through this by yourself. And he, I love to say that he's doing so well right now, you know, not that I am that. And there was another woman online too. The two of us were just bombarding him with love. We're like, you got this. It's only for tonight. It's only for now. Let's stay together and we'll get you out tomorrow. Cause he was by himself mm-hmm. and it's maddening. It's very maddening. The whole experience when you have this loud yelling in your head and you're just like the, this, the noise is so intense. And if you have it to the extent that, that I did and there's other individuals as well, you know, it's like, this is never going to change, but that hope component comes in and you're like, 
it does. You'll be all right. You'll be all right. You'll be right. Well, we're going to get through this. You're going to get help. You need to get be surrounded by. So, so for me, it's like, you know, if I can be that spark of light, I tend to try to back to the mom role in life. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. I do less well with my children. (laughs) Mothering others than mothering others. Mothering others is fine. There's something about, you know, having your, you know, more skin in the game with your people that came out of your body, you know, or even it's not biological, but they're your people, you know, you're raising the children you're raising and that you see. It's so true. It's so much easier to, to mother others. Yeah. So going back to that role, that's kind of how you feel when you're sharing these stories of yourself, these, and, uh, and, and being an accompaniment to someone else that's going through something so hard. And I, I think that that's the reason, I mean, your book is that your book is that for somebody else, right? It is that spark of, of, of joy. The other things you do, the podcast, the, you know, the TEDx, all these things that can bring that relatability to someone else, because again, we cannot we can't experience what somebody else is experiencing regardless if it's been the same. We both have lost a mom to cancer. I can't tell you, I know how you feel. I can't say that. I can't, I can relate to what you went through. You can relate to what I went through, but we are not the same person. We don't come with the same set of beliefs, the same set of relationship itself. That was your unique relationship with your mom, just like my unique relationship with my mom. So to find someone else that you can relate in this process of grief and that does spark that sense of hope that, okay, there, there is some light at the end of the tunnel in this grief journey uh, is, uh, is, is like the best thing we can do, I guess, to Well, that's, to that's what you're doing with your show. I mean, you know, the gratitude does come from grief because somewhere along the line, you're going to see life differently. You know, they always say the contrast in life. You won't understand how wonderful the sun is unless it rains, you know, and even mm-hmm. how wonderful the rain is if it's been just too sunny and it's burning down the land. I mean, that's what you're doing with your show is you're helping people maybe open their mind to there is something, you know, mm-hmm. to appreciate and value with all of this even though it feels so crappy. (laughs) Yes, that's the thing. It doesn't negate that what we went, it's like, it's not saying that what we went through, oh, thank goodness I went through that. No, I always say that's not what we're trying to say when we're saying that we're grateful. Uh, You know, now that we're standing in gratitude, it's not like, oh, I'm so glad that happened. No, (laughs) it's not. If we could take that away, we would. But if that had not happened, we would not be who we are today, right? So therefore, there is a component of gratitude for that experience, even though we still, you know, are grieving. Yeah, I, it is, and it's a con- it's going to be a constant grieving. It's just mm-hmm. a different part of the process. You know, they always say Kubler Ross always said there's five stages. Well, it doesn't mean that you are going to be like linear in your stages. One, two, three, four, five, and you're done. No, it's kind of like you go there and you come back and you go there and you come back. But, you know, that's the human existence, right? I mean, I think before my mom passed away, I had this childlike notion of, you know, it's like watching an American movie, you know, you know, at the end of the day, the hero wins because all Americans demand for that. You know, I want to leave there knowing that, you know, the 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 downtrodden hero on the journey will come out victorious but you know it's like okay but it's, sometimes it's not clean and tidy in a box that's a bow and you know looks like tiffany's you know i was just gonna i was thinking of a tiffany's bow too <laughs> there you go <laughs> on the same wavelength i love it <laughs> oh my god that's so uh, funny yeah it's true life is not like that okay so going back to the signs Tell me then some of these things that happened that you could, with the Oprah people, you have to read that for sure. But the fact that you got to be on stage with Oprah, that's like amazing because you manifested it and you got that. But what were some of these little nuggets, other nuggets of connection that you had with your mom? Well, you know, I have to say one of my favorite. So there's an organization called Love Button Global Movement. And it has these buttons and it has love on it. And I was like, this is amazing. So I'm a big fan of Coldplay. I would sit during those months, months, I say months, 
of just desperation and sadness in my closet listening to yellow on like a fast four like it kept going you know and i felt like really like my mother was singing this song to me and yellow is not my favorite color literally yellow yellow is a color of happiness but it's not my i'm, I'm a black wearing girl like i love black you know it always makes you thinner looking it does like you know always a good you know the little black dress but i would be listening non-stop to this song as if my mother were in fact singing it to me and i you know saw this love button because uh, coldplay was on concert and they were like going around there handing out all these buttons so i was like okay i'm a big asker like you have to go and ask big and that's the manifesting process right you have to ask believe and receive so i found love button i went i mean i went on the chris martin uh website I wanted to say thank you to him. I wanted to thank Chris Martin, give him my first book, you know, say thank you to all of them, all, all the members, Guy, you know, all of them, Johnny, everybody from Coldplay to thank them for, you know, getting me through this really rough time in my life with music because music is that that heals my soul. I mean, and you'll see in part three in the book, it kind of got me through what I was doing with stupidity as sometimes, but yeah, music <laughs> will give you that, you know, beat to your step, maybe that kick to your step, right? But I love to think that, okay, this is crazy, but as if my life is like it's a, a soundtrack, there's a soundtrack behind me, right? You too, right? Like if I'm in a moment, I like, I can literally hear dun, 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 dun. You know, I'm like, oh my God, did that just happen? That's like me. I like, that's more fun, you know, yeah. than just stillness and not silence and whatever. Oh my gosh. I'll tell you an anecdote of that after we get off. But for me, it's not that. For me, it's that people, sometimes you say something and I already think of a song. Like if you say something and it's part of the lyrics of a song, I'll just start blurting it out. And you could be saying something Something so deep and something but yeah. you say something and I was like and it was all yellow you know oh, and yes, I might say exactly. and you're like it's like exactly. you know something I'm like what I'm like sorry sorry it's like oh, I relate God. to stuff well the minute I found that you were from Colombia I was like yeah me voy pa Cali Cali yeah me voy I was like oh my God <laughs> give me some salsa and merengue I'll, I mean that was the most incredible thing in the world when I learned how to dance that because when your body gets to move to music like that it's nothing better right yeah. So with regards to this love button, yeah. I, I had emailed them, said, I want to send you my book. And the founder of love button got back to me. And it was, I, I don't even know if he realizes how poignant and profound that call is, mm -hmm. but it was right before I was trying to decide what to do with my job, whether I was going to resign or not. And he says to me, he says to me, I am so proud of you. And that is something my mother used to say to me all oh. the time. And this person I didn't even know called me out of the blue said this to me and he goes, I want to invite you to a love button fundraiser at Chris Martin's house in Malibu, you know, take Denise with you. Denise is my, my beautiful friend, Denise. And this is because you had mentioned, had you mentioned Denise in your first book? Had you mentioned her in that book that you were giving them or had, no, how so did she Denise, contact? Yeah. So at the, so my first book, Magical Guide to Bliss, I yes. had a book launch at Books and Books and, or um, in Coral Gables. Okay. And Denise and I had a really wonderful relationship because she was a judge. She still is in immigration court. And I was a prosecuting attorney, a trial attorney there. And after our hearings were all finished, you know, we had, we had a friendship and it was like a really soul to soul friendship. And she, I had asked her if she could introduce me at oh. my books and books event. And she gave this beautiful introduction. Well, one of the things that I sent out to love button because, you know, everyone likes videos and everyone likes, you know, being heard, you know? Mm -hmm. So I sent the video of my books and books presentation God. out to to the, I didn't know who I was. I didn't know who I was sending it to the universe, right? Let's go uh -huh. to the universe. And he said, I want to invite you and Denise to be my uh, guest. Because he had seen that video. So yeah. that's what it was. Because even in the book, I was like, how did like how did he know yeah. to tell her that I didn't get that part of yeah. that? Yeah. So then okay, yeah. so then you all you go with your husband and Denise yes. to Malibu. Malibu. <laughs> Super excited. To Colt, to, to Chris. To Chris, <laughs> you know, I'm a total fangirl. Like I, yeah. okay. And especially with a lot of authors that I love too, I'm a fangirl. I just like, if somebody in touches my life, like, I feel like, you know, the gratitude needs to be expressed. I need to tell them how much I love them, how much you changed mm -hmm. my life. Listen, as an author myself, I'm like, thank you. I <laughs> love that. Thank you. And, 
and I know people have more of a, you know, a, 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 a need to tell people how much they hate things. But I'm like, don't tell me all Why? Yeah. Why do people spend all that time on Yelp giving people bad reviews? Why don't, why don't people do that? I don't understand. Oh, oh, but I do love language. And one of my friend got one, a friend got a review that said it's drivel. And I go, I love that word. Drivel? So drivel. D-R-I-V-E-L. So I've been telling my kids, don't give me your drivel. <laughs> Like, I'm gonna gonna look at that up, that word up. What what does dribble. it mean? Dribble. I know it's like what? It's, uh, well, it's yeah. very visual. I'll tell you yeah. that much. But anyway, yeah. um, okay. So, so you get, go there. Yeah, you, you go, go to there. California, and it's this really wonderful, you know, gathering. He has uh, Dr. Sadegi is Habib Sadegi and his beautiful wife Sherry Sammy, both doctors. They were hosting this event, and they're the founders of Love Button. And they were just so kind. And he's like, you came. Because, I mean, random person from Miami flies out mm-hmm. to California and L.A. And I came with my entourage, right? With my <laughs> husband and my my dear friend, Denise. And I was like, here I am. Like, insanity, right? Like, literally. Oh, I, my gosh. How did you decide, like, what to wear to this star-studded event? Like, like, oh, my God. Like, I was like, I, I was, I wore this. Matt maxi dress. It was just, look, honestly, if I, you know, it's so funny because one of the th- things I'll tell you is like a lot of the, a lot of some of the ethnic women in, in court used to come in their Sunday best, like with sequins uh-huh. to court, right? Uh-huh. Because they really, that like they really were showing a great deference, right? And I was really contemplating, what do I do? Like, this is an outdoor party. I had no idea. I wanted to be so I was like, you know, I got to feel comfortable in what I wear. And, and I have a decent, I have a decent fashion sense. So, you know, I wore what I wore and but my husband and I were sitting there, and and right before Chris started playing, Chris Martin, Chris, Chris Martin started playing. Chris, like, good old Chris, yeah, yeah, we're first name basis. Friends. I mean, he, he's met me twice and probably doesn't remember me from Adam or three times actually. So he starts to sing. His first song out was "Yellow," mm. and I just felt like my mother was right there with me. I think I did start to cry. I just felt so overwhelmed with this sense of gratitude as if it was a nod from the universe, you've gotten yourself this far, Meg. Mm. So I looked at my husband. I said, you know, I have to quit my job. (laughs) You know, I have to resign. I said, there's nothing that I can do there anymore. Mm. The walls, the doors, everything are closing on me. I can't stay here. And that is what I did, much to his chagrin. With all due respect and love and he in his own way has stood by me for these years, you know, of my butterfly-ness, you know, the <laughs> magical pie in the sky mentality. Um, but he was also there when I was through the worst of the agony. And it must be really hard to look at someone you love going through that and not being able to do anything to help them, which is Meg, how I felt for my Meg, mother. I was just, Meg, I was just going to say, hello, you do know how it feels. I was just going to interrupt you and say exactly that. You do know how it feels, that helpless feeling. You do, yeah, because yeah, you went through that. It's a terrible feeling, yeah. yeah. Especially for, I, I would say this, for women, yes, but for men, because they like to fix it. They want to mm-hmm. fix it. Mm-hmm. And you couldn't fix me. I mean, I just and, had to go through it. And giving you that space, this is this is happens with my husband too. Like when I want to cry, I really just want to cry. I don't need to be fixed in that moment. I just need to be allowed to ha- express those emotions. It's not yeah. like it's like how what can I do? I'm like no, just let me, let me just right now have my moment of just crying and grief. That's all I need right now is for you to know that there's nothing right now to be fixed. This yeah. emotion is normal. This expression of my emotion is normal. Yeah. Uh, you know, but, uh, but I appreciate you acknowledging maybe a hug, maybe this, but there's yeah. nothing that you could say or do right yeah. now to fix our feeling. So, so then you turn around, you tell them, this is how long after your mom's passing that this event happened and that you decided to quit your job. How long that after? That was May, 2017. So a year. Yeah, it was, it was, no, it was oh. a good Oh, wait, your mom passed in 2000. Yeah. Oh, was- yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, sorry, <laughs> 17. Right. It's because I'm stuck with April 12th. Yeah. Of the, but it was, oh, okay. Yeah. It took me a long time to, to it, you know what, though, I was really paying attention to what was happening. Like, I knew I couldn't do it irresponsibly and put my family in a situation that, you know, economically or even just, you know, on a, you know, a level of, you know, support. Uh, mindset, you know, my, my son was starting, uh, actually he was starting high school 
um, that next year. So I thought that was kind of good timing because, you know, and my other, my other daughter, my daughter was, you know, in, you know, grammar school. Mm -hmm. it, it was a very, it was a good time to do it. Um, as if there's any other good times <laughs> to do it. I just felt no guilt about it. Mm -hmm. I didn't, and I didn't need, I, I did I, look, I was going to deal with the loss of my identity as a trial attorney, as a prosecutor, as those dreams, also grieving the dreams that I had yes. there, you know, had I wanted to bring, you know, a different mindset to my agency. And you know, I had a lot of visions to help, you know, the, the people who are working there, because like I said, people who sit and listen to these kind of cases over and over again, it's a significant impact on them too. And also there was for the people who are coming to court all the time. So I, I thought I could do a lot there, but like I said, a lot of the doors were closing in on me and the options were very few. And I was like, okay, well, that was the faith component, right? Leap of faith, right? Oh my God. You know, you're just praying that parachute when you open, but it doesn't for quite a bit. <laughs> you're just like, I'm trying until to your nose it. is until your nose is grazing the sand, the sand, the the grass as you're, you know, touching the grass right. as you're about to land. And then, then try, yeah, and then try to explain it to everybody who's watching you do what you do. And like, she's crazy. She's literally lost her mind. And and a lot of people do say that because maybe they can't really contemplate it. But you know, I always say the the people who who risk much are the ones who have a chance to gain much. And we're not talking about financial, we're talking about everything in your life, in your, you know, in your journey and in everything. And, and I was like, well, you know, magical thinkers, you know, I mean, you're not very limited, but you have to understand that we live in a world where there are people who are not magical thinkers. Yes. And, and I always, you know, I like to believe that my husband picked me because we are like the yin and the yang, you know, certainly very different, but with foundationals that are, are the same. So, mm. you know, with that, you know, the journey continued when I decided to go follow and find the lighthouse I saw when my mother died. Um, which, you know, if you tell people that I'm going to go find the lighthouse where my mother is, you know, died, you know, what, the, what they're like, what, what are you doing? And, and how things effortlessly you know, unfolded from that point on. Do you um, have a picture? Are you pointing to a picture of it right there as you were talking, how you turned around? Was there a picture of it around lighthouse? near you? Oh, I don't know how you, how you turned around and like pointed was as if you told, you're such a visual person. I, no. I could see you seeing the lighthouse. That's why I'm like, is there a picture of it I'll right tell there? You, I'll tell you, I have like, I do vision boards and I'll tell you right next to me are all the vision boards. Oh, <laughs> wow, that's you can see them, you know, the lighthouse itself. I have a, it's so funny because, you know, we're all looking for this lighthouse and I had to go to, you know, in Spain, but even, you know, right outside my door, you know, I, in, on Key Biscayne, on, you know, the end of Key Biscayne, there is this incredible lighthouse. I just saw it yesterday. And I'm like, right outside, it's like the whole alchemist kind of story, you know? He goes, travels the world only to come back and find it's right there, it's right beside them. You don't have to go mm -hmm. anywhere, right? And, and you, you quote, Paolo Coelho, you, you quote, so I love this because every chapter you start with a quote that, and so it's like, oh, that's beautiful. That's the one in Key Biscayne? That's oh, the one so in Key Biscayne. Yes, it's so beautiful. Beautiful. Yes. So every, every chapter, Meg starts with a quote. So uh, it gives an insight a little bit of the feeling and the mood of that chapter and also an insight into your, your, your world too, you know, and your perspectives on even death. I, um, because of the quotes you chose, I can, I can see what it is, you know, that death represents to you, you know, too, and that continuity um, as well. So, um, yeah, so go ahead, continue. Cause I, I, you were probably finished. And then I like, I interrupted with the thinking that you're seeing I'm ADD as you can see, but I'm like, as you're like looking at them, like, Oh, where does no, no, but, so, you know, like, you know, it's just, a, you know, I think the funny thing is, is that lighthouses can be, you know, you can, anywhere. Be, you can be the light, you can be the lighthouse for somebody, you, know, you can be that light that people need to follow to get themselves out of that darkness. And it's so symbolic and all metaphorical at the same time. But one of the things, and I love Paolo Coelho, I mean, he, I, I don't even know how, like, like these, these, these seeds were planted in my mind because of a friend of mine who gave me all of his books. Like, but mine was by the river pier that I sat and wept. And it was like the whole grief. It was, it was grief. And he embodied it in such a way, in a mystical way that the way I could hear it best. Mm -hmm. And I, and I say this to a lot of people, there are no, you know, set prescription for every person that is the same. 
every person has their own journey, has their own process. You have to figure out what that is for yourself. And I, and I even think as writers, you know, even as writers, you have to figure out what kind of writer you want to be. And I love, he, he's one of my, I call them my book angels. You know, I always say that, the, you know, Paulo Coelho embodies the Joseph Campbell hero's journey as well as Liz, Liz Gilbert does, you know, so I found that you know, my, my, my mantras were male and female, you know, those two together. But Paulo, you know, had me seeing beyond the veil. And that gave me a feeling that I must be somewhat special because I do experience life not as it's seen, but perhaps as that mystical, you know, you know, imagine or the like, you know, because I know my mother is here and I know when people show up in my life, she has something to do with it. And I love the fact that the conversation can continue beyond this reality into another and I'm always looking for those signs like you keep speaking to. And I find them and I find them all the time. I find them all the time. And, you know, I mean, Wayne Dyer is one of my favorite authors. And, and I have, you met yeah, him. You, I, I saw a picture in the back of your book that you met him, too. I walked right up to him and I was like, hello, I'm Meg. And he <laughs> said, hello. And I, I said to him, I said, listen. You told me to design the cover of this book that was called The Sunrise of My Soul's Bliss so that I can actually see it coming to fruition. Can you sign it for me? And he goes, well, this is very interesting. I said, yes, but I feel like you are my teacher and you need to give me the A. So stamp it. <laughs> it's like, stamp it. And he's like, who is this girl? But You're so straightforward. I love that. I'm like, I'm, look, Bold. I, like, I was Bold. just like, you know, opportunities, how many times are they going to come around? Right. So I was like, I'm taking advantage of this, but he always says, you will, you will see it when you believe it. And I have truly come to believe that I will, I might, my mother could be here or my mother cannot be here. What do I choose to believe? And I choose to believe that she's still here with me just in a different and more expansive, right? And as we all will be, right? As we all are. Because even after this interview with you today, I'm gonna remember your beautiful face and mm -hmm. I'm gonna be grateful for your part in my journey because you know of that sunshine and light you're bringing to me, so. Same to you. And you know what, I have to tell you, I ended up using your book. I was uh, coaching a client and I said, hold on a second. I said, I'm reading a book. I'm, I can't tell you, like it hasn't been released yet, but I have to read you a quote from here. And so I actually highlighted, um, I highlighted one and I, I read it to her, but the thing is that this client butterflies have had a huge meaning in her grief journey. And so when I, I just went like this and showed her the, the, uh, cover, uh, so that, she could uh, see what it was. And I read her this one. If there never was any change, wow. there would be no such things as butterflies by Wendy Mass. So um, that's just so beautiful. And I want to ask you then before we close up the reason of the name then butterfly, what with butterfly awakens, what uh, inspired you for the title of your book? So interestingly enough, the original name was, well, the first name was The Sunrise of My Soul's Bliss. Oh, the two, one that you had, right. Wayne Dyer. It, okay. So it was a compilation of The Magical Guide to Bliss and the memoir. And then I had a beautiful editor who basically said, this is too big. <laughs> you can't mm -hmm. put a, a 700, 800 page book out into the world. You have to break them up into two parts. So I did. And then I called it, well, and I'm Italian, right? The Rinaldi mm -hmm. Nocera. And I mm -hmm. called it um, La Bella Farfalla which means the beautiful oh, butterfly in Italian, right? And um, I was told, you know, um, that it might not be a commercial title because no one understands really what La Bella Farfalla is. Oh, and the Farfalla, they think that you're talking about pasta. Pasta, yeah. <laughs> is, it, what is, this? is it pasta? You know, what is this? So I had um, one of the 
one of the things that I value really right now in my life is the relationship I have with my family, my sisters and my father, and it's really profound, my extended family. My father and I truly believe in a consciousness mentality where, you know, people, more people wake up to what's happening in the world and around them, the more enlightened we all can be and elevate our own existence from a state of, you know, fear to a state of faith. So an awakening, you know, when somebody awakens, they come to their life in a different way. And it's a conscious approach to this experience that we have this once around that starts from like, you know, numbing out to actually being a part of it. And the more people who are awake and alive and filled with light, the better off we all are. So the butterfly awakens means that butterfly is actually taking a risk to break out of their cocoon into the light again after that period of metamorphosis. And, you know, what better gift can you give someone to invite them to be alive again, come alive to their dreams, come alive to their life, come alive to their light. And with that, you know, you know, how many of us have an opportunity to just experience, you know, this experience that we all are walking through in a different way by awakening to it and writing their own story and creating their own, you know, their own journey and dancing to their own music and all of the things that, you know, make this life so wonderfully lived. So amazing because you know, there's always two ways you can look at the world in the morning. You know, I, there's, you know, that wonderful Einstein quote, but also is that, you know, they say, you know, you know, good morning or God, it's morning, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's like, you know, either way, it's your perspective and you have control over, you know, at least how you see when you're, you know, at your lowest, you know, even well, or, well, you can wake up and, and ask and reach out and, you know, start to believe in your life again. So that's pretty much the the awakening part. And then the butterfly is just how pretty are butterflies? Like butterfly, <laughs> butterfly, butterfly. No, no and, and it was so cute. The little package I got sent for the they so oh, adorable. So All the different little butterfly little you know things and in it so beautiful. The the packet awesome. that you sent. Thank you so much. It was You're so. so it, it's just, it's such a joy to talk to you and feel your energy. Uh, you can see how you're touching, you know, moving me uh, uh, with your words and the passion behind the words as good Italian blood uh, yeah. that we have. <laughs> um, so thank you so much. And so re the book's official release date please and how so people can get it 7th, yes september 7th 2021 i do have a giveaway actually um up until september 6th if you buy the book pre-order it and you send me your receipt to megnostro at mac.com you'll enter the giveaway for my butterflies and bliss box which is all my books yeah i will be sending you all my books and maybe even a tiara because i love tiaras and and essentially, you know, it's like the crown. She's, oh, <laughs> she's wearing one right now. Hold on. I got to take a picture of this because oh, okay. then that way I could, I could post this uh, on social media. Okay, look. Ooh, perfect. Oh my God. Awesome. Thank you so wow. much. Anything else that I did not ask that you are like, oh, you don't want to wake up at three in the morning thinking, I did not say this on her podcast. I know like all the details. Again, I want the listeners to go and grab the book and read it and find out all these stories of how you met Oprah, how you transitioned out of your job, what, you know, what kind of took you into this journey to Spain and all these other things, which I still have to read that part, um, and get to, to learn more, but anything else that you'd like them to hear before we close off? You know, one of the things I wanted to, you know, share with everyone before we go is, you know, emotions are just that at its foundation, they're supposed to move through us and grief and the experience of overcome sadness and overwhelming, you know, it has to move through us. We have to figure out a way and that tears are a release and laughter is a release. All of these things are a release. It has us keep moving forward. And, you know, it's so funny because, you know, there's no judgment about it. You know, that's the normal human reaction to loss. And if you don't, I don't know if that is something, you know, I try not to be in sadness and I was feel, figuring numbing out was the way to go. And, you know, that there's no reason, I mean, that's not life. 
that's not life to separate yourself and not connect and not collaborate and not be like you were saying, not being part of my children's experience and seeing their joy growing up and giving them that experience of my insanity or my, you know, wonder or my sense of awe. So I would just say to this, you know, if you're going through it right now and you need a little bit of hope, then just look in the mirror and just, you know, just do yourself a favor and give yourself a huge butterfly pose hug. And just, you know, it's the best. It's the best because, you know, you, you don't have to wait for someone else to do it for you. You can give it to yourself. And then, you know, if you do need help, definitely ask. And, uh, you know, I believe in you and get ready to dazzle because, you know, that's the hope for all of us is that we all are here to become and wake up and, you know, shine. And, and I thank you, Kendra, for doing that for your thank community you. and your audience. Thank you, Meg. Again, this is Meg Nocedo. No, uh, no. Did I say it this time? Again, I said it like a Latina. I like the Latina. No, Chero. No, Chero. I'll say it no like chero. an Italian. No, Chero. I'll say it. <laughs> la bella farfalla no Chero. Actually, Italian is what's on my Duolingo. So I could, I could. <laughs> Awesome, awesome, Thank awesome. you once again. Grazie, grazie, oh, Bella. Prego, prego, prego. Un piacere mio, no? Un piacere oh. mio. No, piacere mio. <laughs> Thank you once again. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.